forgivers and that we might uh, be more uh, loving and gentle and patient with one another. We lift up to you Norman Matson and uh, also Becky Lewis, Lord, and and if we've uh, forgotten anyone, Father, we, we lift them up to you. And Lord, we also want to pray for the safety of the kids as they're out and on the recreational vehicles. God, we pray that you'd keep them and watch them. And uh, Father, while they're in their youth, I pray that they'd remember their creator. And Lord, uh, for those that are out and working uh, on tractors and working in their farms, God, we pray for safety and pray that they'd look to you as the God who has created and also sustains your creation and blesses your creation with, with uh, rain and with, uh, with crops and with, with, a, with a blessed harvest, uh, Father, is coming from your hand. Pray, Father, that you'd help us to get back to God and get back to the Bible in this county. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and I'm still having a time with my allergies, I guess it is, and, but I'm feeling a lot better this week. Acts chapter 2, and we'll pick up right at verse 38, right at verse 38. So, we talked last time about Peter's, uh, he's calling for a response now for his sermon, and last time we talked about repentance, and that's where we left off. But just briefly to review, uh, repentance is a, to change one's mind. And it's to change your mind about sin, about what God says about sin, to change your mind about God and who he is, that he's holy, and that sin must be punished, and that he will not allow sin into heaven, and also to change your mind about yourself and the direction that you're heading and your love for sin. And so to repent in the sense of the gospel is to turn uh, from your wandering and going astray and to turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ and to let loose of your sin, to turn from your sin to God. Uh, somebody put it this way, you know, many are on the wide, the broad way, uh, the wide way of life and they're carrying the burdens of their sins and you can just imagine a big bulky load of sin and maybe on a backpack, maybe in their hands. And they're going down the Broadway and they have plenty of room to carry the big bulky burdensome sins that they have. But God says, repent and go the narrow way. The straight way is a narrow way. And it's narrow because it's only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. He is the door. Well, to be able to go in through this door, you're carrying all that sin, you've got to put it down. Before you can walk through that door. Yes, turn or burn. Uh, receive the bread of life or else you'll be burnt toast. And uh, whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the truth of the gospel. And, you, you know, you, if you're trying to come into the house, you got a big bulky load. Uh, sometimes you have to put some things down in order to be able to go through the door of the house, you know, to get in there. Uh, well, it's like that with the gospel. So you can't 
You can't go to heaven and take your sin with you, is the message. That is the true message of the gospel. It's not preached very much. It's not preached very much. What's preached today is kind of easy believism, you know. All you have to do is just believe in Jesus, and repentance is left out. So that's a, a great error that is made. Now, when we say that belief, faith is the only condition for salvation, that is a true statement, but repentance is always implied. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And repentance is commanded for all. I'm going to read to you from Acts 17.30. Here Peter's preaching it to the Jews because they crucified their Messiah, but Paul preached repentance. He preached repentance everywhere he went. And so you cannot be faithful in giving a gospel call unless you call men to repentance. So in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, uh, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, says Paul. All men everywhere. Um, We uh, talked a great deal again about repentance, so we won't go over it all again, Um, but when you receive the gospel call somebody preaches the gospel you cannot get saved unless somebody preaches the gospel when you hear the gospel preached you have to respond by believing okay you believe from the heart not just a head knowledge but it has to get down into the heart oh this is for me jesus died for my sins Uh, I must receive him as a substitute to pay the penalty for my sins and to die in my place or else I'm going to die for my sins and I'll have to pay for him. So you you believe it and you repent and you say, okay, I had plans to go on sinning and loving my sin and enjoying my sin, but I, I repent about what I think about sin and about God and myself and now I'm turning to God by faith and then I call upon the name of the Lord. Isn't that what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 10? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that what Peter just got through saying in verse 21? And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 21. So in believing, repentance is implied. In, in gospel repentance, uh, belief is, a, is, is uh, implied. Now, repentance removes sin. If you look at verse 21, repentance removes sin. You have to call on the name of the Lord, and you'll be saved. So repentance removes sin. If you look also at verse uh, 19 of chapter 3, what takes away our sin? Well, our sin is taken away when we repent. Verse 19, repent ye therefore. See, when Peter preached again, his next message, he says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Repentance removes, blots out our sin. How do we receive the forgiveness that's offered through the gospel? Repentance. That's how we receive it. Belief And salvation comes before baptism. I want you to see this just right up front. Chapter 8, verse 37. This uh, belief we talked about, repentance, there are two sides of the same coin. 
You, you can't separate them. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And this repentance, this saving faith, comes before you are baptized. In Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And Philip said, now Philip's that evangelist, been preaching the gospel to this one man. He was sent to one man to preach the gospel. If thou believest, because that one man said, what's keeping me from getting baptized? Because he knows that's what Christians do. That's what you do in order to join the church and identify yourself with Christ and the Christians. Uh, Philip said, well, this is what you got to do if you want to be baptized. If you believe with all your heart, then you can get baptized. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, that was just a statement of his belief. There wasn't even a sinner's prayer there, okay? Um, don't make too much out of that, but a lot, of people, a lot of people, I think, are saved before they ever get down here to the altar to pray. It's not a bad practice to say, come down, somebody will take a Bible and show you how you can be saved, because you can clear up things if they have misunderstandings. But there's people who just believe, man, and right there, they become a new creature in Christ. And, uh, you know, my brother was that way. Now, you believe before you are baptized. Look at chapter 10. You can see it again, that the conversion happens because of repentance and faith, and it happens before baptism. Chapter 10, verse 43. And it says there, this is Peter preaching to some Gentiles in chapter 10, verse 43. And he says here, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, through the name of Jesus, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So when you believe that repentance and faith, that's when your sins are remitted. That's just another word for forgiven. That's when your sins are forgiven and taken away the moment that you believe the gospel. And then, look, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. Don't forget that. We'll come back to that thought. They received the promise of the Father before they got baptized. Notice that they which believe were astonished. They have the circumcision. Because the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Ghost was poured out on them, the end of verse 45, on the Gentiles. They couldn't believe it. They didn't think that that was supposed to happen, that the Gentiles could get saved too. But notice that they received the promise of the Father, the gift of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, before baptism. We'll come back to that idea in just a second. So, so far, repentance is what removes sins. That's how you receive the remission of sins. Repentance and faith, two sides of the same coin. Belief and this conversion, this remission of sins, comes before baptism in the scriptures. Now, how do we receive the promise of the Father? How do we receive the promise of the Father? Look at uh, Acts chapter 1. I'll just remind you, we've been studying this, but it's been several weeks. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, if you read that to yourself, you'll see that those words... The promise of the Father. You see that in Acts chapter 1 verse 4? <clears throat> so they were uh, told to go and assemble and to wait for the promise of the Father. And they're waiting in Jerusalem. 
So what does the promise of the Father refer to? <clears throat> Referring to receiving the Holy Ghost, the, the outpouring of the Spirit. That's what it refers to. Okay? So they're there, they're waiting. They were told in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that they would receive the Holy Spirit upon being baptized. Does it not say that in Acts 2.38? Okay. <clears throat> now here's a little bit of detail, a little bit of fine detail. Peter is preaching to a group of Jews. We've already established that, right? There's four groups in the book of Acts. He's preaching to the Jews, and he's saying this message. He's saying that you can save yourself from this wicked nation that crucified their Messiah. So Peter is saying, save yourself from this nation because they are a blood-guilty nation. They've crucified their Messiah. Look at the end of verse 40. This is exactly what Peter told them. This is how you save yourselves from this untoward, this wicked generation, this crooked and perverse generation. Peter is saying, the whole nation of Israel is guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ. You say, what do you mean? Well, remember when uh, Pilate said, do you want Jesus? you want your king, Jesus? And they said, away with him. And they said the, those damning words, his blood be upon us and upon our people. Remember that? So therefore, they cursed themselves. And they said, we're guilty of his blood. And so they were. And then uh, we have no king but Caesar. Well, Peter said they are under the guilt and condemnation of God Almighty. And if you want to save yourself from this untoward generation, you need to repent and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. Therefore, identify yourself with Jesus Christ and uh, turn away from your nation because they're under God's condemnation. Separate yourself from them. Uh, set yourself against them. Identify with Christ. Does that make sense? He's not saying save yourself from hell. Now, there's a little bit of detail here. Just, just chew on it. Think about it. He didn't say save yourself from hell. He said save yourself from this untoward generation. You say, what do you mean? Well, what happened in 70 AD? God's condemnation on the nation of Israel. The diaspora. They were kicked out all over the world after that. Uh, they have been receiving the punishment of God ever since. The Jews have been horribly persecuted. Uh, the greatest example of that is the, uh, the ovens of Nazi Germany, the Holocaust. That's the greatest example of that. You say, what's that? His blood be upon us and upon our people. They're guilty. They're under the condemnation and wrath of Almighty God. Peter said, come out from that. All right? That's a little bit of detail there. How do you, look now, is that not what verse 38 says? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They were not going to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost till they got in that water. Is that not what it says? That's what it says. And then, there's another group. There's a group of the Samaritans in the book of Acts. We'll study them eventually. The Samaritans, they're different than the Jews. Does anybody remember why they're different? They're half Jew, half Gentile. Remember, now, uh, you might want to look at chapter 1, verse 8. I've kind of put all this together. He says, you'll be witnesses unto me in both in Jerusalem 
and in Jew, all Judea. Okay, that's what's that's the group on the day of Pentecost. Yes, and the Samaritans were hated by the Judean Jews. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's where the gospel goes to next. So right now the gospel is in Judea. That's Jewish territory. The Jewish people were like, uh, we talk about discriminating against people of another color. Um, when, when Beth and I signed up for foster adopting, uh, I, the, he asked me how I felt about bringing in other nationalities or other uh, races into our home. Did we want to, in other words, did we want to adopt black children? <clears throat> and I told him something that might surprise you, don't think any less of me, but I told him I don't, I, I don't think it's preferable or best to bring a black child into a white home. Uh, I had black friends growing up. I loved them. I didn't see any difference between them and my white friends. They were all the same. We all bled the same color. I found that out. Amen. But I said, having grown up with black children, they have a different culture. Same thing with uh, Spanish people. Different culture, man. Christmas is totally different if you're Spanish. Um, So I said, I would prefer not to for those reasons. I think it would be best to place them into a home. But in Cambridge, Ohio, how many black homes do you think you have adopting, you know, people from foster agencies? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, and there's a reason for that. There's good sense, good common sense for it. Uh, if I was, so let's say I'm a white baby, and I'm being adopted in foster adoption, and a black family adopts me. I'll probably grow up not really thinking anything different until I get old enough and I'm in school. And then I'll realize there's a big difference between my home and other homes. Probably love them just the same, but there's a difference. Now you're all thinking bad thoughts about me. Uh, now, then recently, the, the foster agency, the surprise I said I had, they called and they said, would you be interested in adopting another child from birth? And uh, they wanted to ask me first before they asked Beth. And uh, Beth was getting ready to go into the surgery and such. And they said, do you think it's good for her right now to have something, you know, an extra child in the home? And I said, I know. Uh, If I said no, I'd be in trouble. So uh, I didn't say those exact words, but that's what I was thinking. So I said, we'd love to. That's what we signed up for. And he said, well, um, it's a black and white mixed baby. Uh, The the mom's black, the dad's white. Would that be a problem for you? And what do you think I said? I said that wouldn't be a problem. You know, if a God puts a child into our life, uh, we'll love it. You know, whatever, whoever God puts in front of us, we want to love, right? So um, now we might not be the ones that are picked, but if we are in August, we'll have another baby. So, um, so I said all that to say this. You think that there was discrimination in America. There was big-time discrimination in Judea uh, country back then it was worse so like they wouldn't even go through Samaria they would go on the other side of Jordan River if they're traveling north and, and go up where there's just pure Jews and then cross back over and then they didn't even like Galilee where Jesus came from because there's a lot of Gentiles up in there so there was big time discrimination and like brother Clifford said the Samaritans were hated by the Jews and they were also hated by just purebred Gentiles so uh 
That's why that woman of Samaria is like, why are you talking to me? You know. So now you've got one group, that's Pentecost, the Judean Jews. They're being dealt with there. They've got to be baptized in order to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then the gospel goes to Samaria after that. And then the gospel will go to uh, pure Gentiles. And every time it's different. But listen, this is my one point, and I'll move on. I won't drive this into the, into the dirt too far. Um, Acts chapter 10. We read about Cornelius and his servants, pure Gentiles. They heard the gospel, and when they believed, now that's repentance and faith implied, when they believed, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was poured out on them with the evidence of speaking in tongues to prove to those Jews, those gospel Jewish preachers, that God was going to save the Gentiles as well. Now they received the Holy Spirit before they were baptized. That's the same way it happens for me and you. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. We'll just look at this one reference. How do we receive the promise of the Father? Not through baptism. Not through baptism. But we receive the promise of the Father through faith. Galatians 3, 14. Uh, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, just like Acts chapter 10. So what you have in Acts is you have things happening in different orders in the book of Acts. What that does not mean, that does not mean that there's multiple ways of salvation. Salvation is the same all across the board. Faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we're saved belief but how people receive the holy spirit was different in different ways you say why does that happen i don't know do you i really don't know i don't know why it's four different ways but i think he's trying to distinguish between four different groups of the gospel going to them but i really don't know so if you find out let me know now back to acts chapter 2 verse 38 is this the plan of salvation for you and for me no it's really not um but this is how it needs to be understood. What are we supposed to do? Well, repentance or faith, you know, being converted and your sins being remitted, that comes before baptism. So we use this verse to show people, you see, you've got to have faith in Jesus first before you're baptized. So far, so good. But the problem with that is, look what happens after you're baptized. You receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and you have to tell converts, no, when you got saved... That's when you receive the Holy Spirit. You say, why didn't I speak in tongues? Because you weren't trying to prove to a bunch of Jewish apostles that God was indeed in the business of the whosoever will may come gospel. They thought you had to become a Jew. So that was to confirm that to the... the now imagine how fired up they were. Man, that got those Jewish apostles fired up, and they went all into all the world with the gospel. So God did that as a sign for the Jews. But... Here's the positives. You know, man, we receive remission of sins. I'm so thankful for that. Just blot it out. Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I'm so thankful for my heavenly comforter and friend and so grieved when I, you know, I realize we neglect him. We neglect the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, there's so much a responsibility there, but he's there for our comfort and there to help us. Now, verse 39. 
Okay, we got past that. That was a lot, wasn't it? Okay. I'm going to say this just as we leave because I wrote it down in my notes. Just for the sake of your future study or anybody who may be listening. Peter is careful to tell us that baptism is a figure. It's only a figure. It's a symbol. It pictures something. It pictures what happens when you get saved. It does not wash away the filth of the flesh. Okay? And it is the answer of a good conscience toward God. That's what it is. How do we get a good conscience toward God? By believing the gospel, repenting, and calling on the name of Jesus as our sacrifice, our atonement. That's how you get a good conscience. And then your answer to that, how do you answer God back? You get baptized. That's the first step of obedience for a brand new believer is to be baptized. Identify yourself with Christ, his church, so on and so forth. Let me nail the coffin in with the last nail. Um, Just to put to, to, to rest this false teaching of baptismal regeneration. Uh, In the Old Testament, here's a man who's grieved for his sin. Maybe his son is aware of what he's doing, and and he's coming to the priest, and he realized, I'm guilty of a sin, and I've got to come and bring an offering. So he comes to Jerusalem, to the priest, brings his offering, and maybe it's a lamb. Well, when he comes to the priest, and the priest sheds the blood of that lamb lays it upon the altar in the way that it's supposed to be put there and burned and cooked or whatever they're supposed to do. And, and when the priest, he's, this is the God-given, God-ordained priesthood, this is the way that the sacrifice is supposed to happen, the priest can turn to the man and say, because you have your, your, son, your sins have been atoned for by this sacrifice, you have remission of sins. The man can go away feeling like, whew, man, I ha- I've been forgiven. I'm, I'm right with God, okay? When we come to God by faith, the atonement that has been made, our forgiveness can only happen after the penalty has been uh, brought to whatever the sacrifice is. So in our case, it's not a lamb put on an altar. There, it was Jesus who was penalized for our sins. As the Lamb of God, he shed his blood on the cross. So there has to first be a penalty. That has to be met first. Then you can be forgiven or remitted. So we come to God, to, to our great high priest, who's also the sacrifice. We confess our sins. Our sins are forgiven based upon the penalty that was met at the cross and the blood that was shed. And so God can say to us through his word, your sins are remitted. They're atoned for. That's how this all works. That's how I have a good conscience. And then in good conscience, I'm able to be baptized and identify with Jesus Christ. Okay? Verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. They all have the same promise that they can receive the Holy Ghost. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now, This is the start of the church here. We're reading about this church. In verse 41, what was it like? Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So that's how you're added to the church, is through baptism. And they're glad. It's a happy thing. They're celebrating, and they feel good. They know that I am right with God, And even though of all my great sin, now I'm right with God. 
and I can I can go into church in a way that is I'm not, you know, sunk down all the time in, in great guilt for my sin when I come to church. No, it's a glad thing. Okay, so verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Right there, you have four things. Right, they continued steadfastly. How did they continue? In the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Okay, so let's first let's talk about that doctrine. What would you experience if you came to a first century church service in Jerusalem? Okay, and let's just imagine you can speak the language. What would you experience? What do you think it would be like? First of all, what, what do you think, Brother Clifford? Yeah. Yeah. You mean once the priesthood was set up and Christianity went awry? Yeah. yeah. And uh, not once they started speaking in Latin, uh, nobody could understand. And that's very different from what was actually happening in the first century. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. When so with Alexander the Great, say that again. So we're talking about before Jesus showed up. Right. Yeah. When they were trying to keep talking and everything, the Greek language was just you couldn't understand. Mm-hmm. And Alexander the Great simplified it that the whole world could understand it. Yeah. So he made Jesus understand. Yeah. The Latin speaks like the native language. Everyone knew that for doctor. Right. Yeah, and so when Christ showed up, the world, or when Paul started preaching, really, the world was prepared for the spread of the gospel because Greek language. Then you had the Romans' roads. Uh, you had those roads to travel on. So you had like a super highway system going on. Yeah, exactly. And so let's just say you are coming into a church service for the first time, maybe in, maybe in Ephesus after Paul has spread the gospel uh, to Ephesus or something like that, or Corinth. Well, let's use Ephesus. Corinth had troubles. <laughs> so Ephesus or, or Philippi. What would you experience? It was a very simplistic form of worship, right? Uh, there's beauty and simplicity. First of all, it would not be in a church building, not for the first 200 years. There were no church buildings. You say, where'd they meet at? House churches. House churches. Which I, I like the idea of that, personally. Um, a lot of people have started churches in their homes uh, through a Bible study, things like that. But they, that was church. It was in the house. Um, there were elders who, who had the oversight of churches. Um, when they met together, uh, they would learn the apostles' doctrine. What is, what is, uh, well, first of all, what does the word apostle mean? A sent one. One who was sent, and referring to the the apostles that that the Lord sent, right? And they were sent to preach the gospel and then organize the people who believed into little assemblies, to local congregations, little churches. So uh, now the apostles, their doctrine, that's what you're supposed to teach, nothing else. Um, I will read to you from 1 Timothy 4. 
And you can turn there if you want, or I'll just read it to you. Paul talked about in the latter times, people would stop teaching the apostles' doctrine, and they would start teaching doctrines of devils. So now the Spirit speaketh expressly, or clearly, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, and so they're just leaving the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So there are seducing spirits that deceive people through seduction. And uh, again, we're in a spiritual battle. And doctrines of devils, that's opposed to the apostles' doctrine. The word doctrine simply means what? Teaching, right? And it's not just teaching, but it is teaching what we believe and how we live. That's doctrine. What we believe teaching about what we believe and how we live. And there's only one authorized form of doctrine for the New Testament local church, and that is the apostles' doctrine. Okay? Think about it this way. Um, You have, at this time, you only had the Old Testament, right? They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the Gospels until uh, later on in the first century. So they're all learning from the Old Testament. That's why Peter is quoting David and Joel and such. Well, the, the apostles told them how to understand. They taught them how to understand the Old Testament, and that Christ is the fulfillment of these things, okay? And then they taught doctrine. This is what the church is to believe, how the church is to conduct themselves. At first, it just went forth orally, right? So you had the apostles traveling around from one church to another, teaching them orally, okay? And you were not to teach anything different. If you started to teach anything different, you were seduced by an unclean spirit, and that was a doctrine of devils. Or if you depart from New Testament doctrine, the doctrine of the apostles, I'm going to say something here that's a little bit sharp, and then I'll move away from it. But listen, any any so-called church today that moves away from the apostles' doctrine is really no longer a New Testament church. They might have church on their sign, They might belong to a convention, or they might belong to a denomination, or they might belong to an association, Southern Baptist or whatever. Uh, But if they've departed from the New Testament doctrine, it's not really a New Testament church. Yes, it's not a New Testament church. Right, and they say... Right, and you see, you could just you could just jump on anywhere, and just. uh, But is that not the truth? They continued in the apostles' doctrine. What's the opposite of the apostles' teaching? Doctrine of devils, something that departs from what they taught. If you teach that baptism is what saves you, you now have another gospel, and you are cursed, and you're damning everybody who who uh, who bites on that as you're fishing for men, and they bite on that lure. It's not the gospel. Well, well, we, we'll move away from there. I won't give, get into any specifics. But you, to, in order to be a New Testament church, we've got to adhere to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I love the fellowship of the church. Uh, right now, Beth, Beth really loves being a part of this church. This is the first church, think of it, in, in all of her 31 years. Uh, that's not really true. But... Um, 
let's just say you go back 31 years. Um, this is the first church she's ever felt like was really a family and like was a, was a healthy church. She's belonged to a lot of churches. And when she was a kid, the church that she belonged to was good, but then it went bad, it went bad uh, as she grew up through a pastor who was abusive. But she loves the fellowship of this church. And there's certain people who just come here and they're just strengthened by what we do here. You say, what's fellowship? Well, um, if you think of a little boat, this is an old illustration. If you get, get into a boat with somebody else, that's two fellows in a ship. And in order to be in a boat with somebody else, you both have to be rowing the same way, right? And you're both going the same direction. And you have the same purpose and the same destination. It's just a like-minded fellowship, a relationship. Equally yoked together, yes. So therefore, we have to all agree to the apostles' doctrine. There's a lot of things you could say about that, but that's why you have to agree to the church uh, statement of faith and constitution in order to be a member. Doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread, what's that? That's referring to the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread. And in prayers, they were a praying people. So imagine just going into uh, somebody's home, Maybe you're meeting in the courthouse, courtyard around their house outside.